Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with me another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into uh, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, uh, a prayer that comes to us at the heart of the gospel. So we call it the gospel prayer, huh? the gospel prayer. And it really is an honor for me that so many of you are uh, tuning in by way of podcast. And I just want to continue to recognize all those listeners who live in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, uh, Mexico, Canada, Turkey, India, certainly Western Europe, I see you on the grid, um, Portugal, Spain, uh, France, Germany, Italy. Uh, it really is an honor that you are taking 25 to 30 minutes out of your busy schedule to spend with me. Um, I know it is not a literal conversation we are having, but it is a quasi-conversation because you are listening. And hopefully, your response is with your very life, because whatever we talk about here on this radio program, whatever we say, whether I'm flying solo as I am today or I have a guest, it's all for naught if we don't apply it to our lives, right? I mean, we can talk ad nauseum about the thousand and one subjects that the Christian and Catholic faith seemingly touch. But if they are not applied to our lives with that great virtue of charity, then what does it all mean? Is this not what Pope Francis has been focusing on? To get us to see that uh, the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy are mutually illuminating? So let us take what we talk about here and apply it to our lives. And what does that mean for us today? Well, we are talking about the Lord's Prayer. You know, every single evening, I step into this uh, studio, and I open up with what? The Lord's Prayer, Our Father. So yeah, I thought it was right to <laughs> hit the pause button and reflect into these great petitions that come to us in this great prayer. And so it is. How do we apply this? Well, that we might take what we've been talking about and sink into it, that our prayer might be uh, enriched. Okay, with that... We are in that petition, thy will be done. You know, I was recently listening to um, the popular Bishop Barron. I've quoted him a handful of times, huh? And he was talking about the ego drama and the theodrama. I really like that. The, the ego drama and the theodrama. What is the ego drama? Well, the ego drama for Bishop Barron is, is the play that I write is the play that I direct, is the play that I produce, and above all else, is the play that I star in, huh? Is the play that I star in. The theodrama is the play God writes that he has called each and every one of us to star in, huh? And so the question is, what play do we want to star in? Our own? The one that we write autonomous from God's will? or the one that God is writing. My dear friends, God is infinitely perfect, 
And his play, his narrative, his story is one that I want to be caught up in. And so let us be caught up in it. Let us be caught up in the theodrama. So many of us do not want to be compelled by anything from the outside. God entered human history, and certainly something we've been focused on this Christmas season, so as to reveal objectively what the fullness of Christian goodness looks like. And yes, that Christian goodness, that Christian moral goodness is objective, something that we can see, something that is external, something that is now revealed because God revealed it in His Son. My dear friends, is this not something that we want to strive for, to be a good person and to spend our lives moving towards that which is good in the person of Jesus Christ and the very inner life of the Trinity. So, again, the question is posed. What play do you want to belong to? And this is what lies at the heart of this petition. Thy will be done. We pray, thy will be done. But one of the objections to this prayer is, do we really have a choice? Huh? Now, of course we do. God leaves us free because God is never going to impose his will. This goes against the nature of love, and we know God is love. He's never going to impose himself. So he invites us into his narrative. He invites us into his play. He invites us into what he is writing, producing, directing, because he knows what is best for us. So we may choose to accept his will and do his will, or, or we may choose to resist his will. But what do we know about resistance? It brings us pain. We must remember that the will of God is inexorable, right? It's going to be accomplished no matter how much we push back against it. And I love this line from Scott Hahn. And listen to what Scott Hahn says. Just as physical resistance to a mighty force can leave us bruised and brush burned, so our resistance to God's almighty will can leave us weary in spirit, sad and weak. My dear friends, God wills our joy, but we must understand, like anything, it will not come easily. And so to oppose his will in the end is what? To oppose our own happiness. Now, we were just talking about uh, freedom huh? And, and freedom of choice. What we must understand is that it is a relative sort of freedom. What do we mean? Well, we may choose whom we will serve, God or ourselves. Again, are we choosing the theodrama or the egodrama? Either way, the irony is we know we can count on a struggle, right? But only one way leads to happiness, so why not decide for the theodrama? the drama that will bring us everlasting happiness, everlasting joy. Back to that question, why bother to pray, thy will be done, when in the end we know his will will be done, right? It's a fair question to ask. For some, you look at it and you say, isn't it presumptuous or even redundant 
to pray that prayer? Huh? Isn't God's will what happens anyways? <laughs> Why pray for God's will to be done? As Scott Hahn notes, in this context, isn't it like uh, praying for gravity to continue? The answer, my friends, is quite simple. When we pray, thy will be done, it is not so much that we change or strengthen the will of God, but what we do is change and strengthen ourselves. How? Why? Well, prayer disposes our hearts to do the will of the Father. If you were to go into paragraph 2611 of the Catechism, it highlights this very point. Our prayer conditions us to say, Thy will, when the pull of our nature says, My will. So our prayer conditions us to be disposed to the theodrama when the pull of our nature says, The ego drama must reign. My will must reign. What do we see in the Garden of Gethsemane? We see Jesus himself struggling against the natural human instinct for self-preservation, the natural human dread of pain and death. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. Matthew 26, 39. The Son of God is at the service of the theodrama, huh? Earthly life is good, sure, but we must reach beyond it if we want to reach the heavenly Jerusalem. Our human will can be good, but we must reach beyond it if we want to be divine, if we want to be holy, if we want to be saints. As we have remarked in the past on this radio program, quoting many saints, the only tragedy here on earth is to fail to be a saint. And make no mistake about it, only saints can live in heaven. Only those who say, thy will be done. What does Jesus say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, that comes to us from the Sermon on the Mount. If there's one thing that Jesus was not fond of in the gospel was lip service. He was very, very critical of that. Where is your heart? That's the big question. And if your heart is disposed to be at the service of the theodrama, then you are well on your way. So how do we as mere humans get to heaven? Well, what is that passage that comes to us from 2 Peter 1.4, where Peter reminds us that we are called to participate in God's divine nature? My friends, we get to heaven by participating in God's very nature. Huh? I like to offer up that image of sap and how sap is like grace. What is grace? Grace is God's very inner life, His very substance, His very being, and this is what He gives to us. Why conjure up the image of sap? Well, what is sap? Sap is what comes from a tree. We all know that. Sap itself contains the water, the nutrients, 
and even the hormones of the tree. It contains all of the life-giving properties of the tree. So grace is like sap because grace itself contains all of the life-giving properties that properly belong to God. Now, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us many graces. There's sanctifying grace, the grace that comes to us in the virtues of faith, hope, and love. There's actual grace, the grace that helps us in very specific circumstances in our everyday life. We can call it the moment-to-moment grace, right? The actual grace. And then there's uh, sacramental grace, the grace that, of course, comes to us in and through the sacramental life. So there's all sorts of grace. There's all sorts of sap, if you will. And this is how we share in his very nature. It's interesting. What else do we think of when we hear the word sap? Well, maybe we think of how it sticks to us. Well, yeah, because grace sticks to us. Or maybe how when sap hardens, it turns into what we call amber, and it protects and guards. Yeah, because grace, when it sticks to us, over time it hardens and it protects us. So again, how do mere humans become divine? By sharing in the very life of God, who became human to give us this grace. So Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, established what? A new covenant, a new dispensation of this grace that we are called to receive, that enables the communion between us and God to occur. You know, it's important that we understand what Jesus was doing. As we have spoken to it in the past, a covenant is not a, a business transaction, a deal, or a contract. All of those things are exchanges of goods and services. But a covenant in God's eyes is an exchange of persons, right? Not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. He and me and I and him. That is the essence of the gospel. This is why, oh, by the way, marriage is a covenant. And so is the adoption of a child. Because a covenant draws people not into a business partnership, but into a family relationship. That's Scott Hahn there. So thus we can say, a covenant is a union of wills. I don't lose my will in God's any more than I would lose my will in my wife's. I unite my will to God. And in so doing, I begin to live more perfectly in Jesus. What does Jesus himself say? I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Amen to that. What did Jesus say? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are, as many saints and theologians have touched upon, sons, lowercase s, in the Son, capital S. Thus, what we are praying for here is not some fatalistic resignation, but to will what he wills as forcefully as he wills it with what but filial boldness. Remember the first words of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. We pray as Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father, and we do so mindful of Paul's words. 
that we did not receive a spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, but the spirit of sonship in which we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8, verses 14 and following, huh? That's a filial boldness. No, there are many ways we can misinterpret this petition. Some people really do look upon it as a fatalistic resignation. You know, God, you're going to do what you're going to do anyways. I'm just going to grit my teeth and accept it. Others find it a source of agonizing scruples and an endless troubled inquiry. They wring their hands and say, what? Thy will be done, Lord, but how can I ever know thy will? As if they dare not think for themselves in the presence of a power so mighty. In both of those ways, we do not find the attitude of a child toward his father. huh? Fatalism, and we can also say pietism, are at root a denial of God's great fatherhood. Because they both see God the way a slave sees his master, either with resentment or with servile fear. Yet between these two extremes, we find the attitude that is appropriate, huh? The trusting love of a son for his father, that interior attitude of faith that we have talked about. Over this past Advent season, we have been reflecting to Mary's great yes. She willingly entrusted herself to the will of the Father. The Blessed Virgin Mary reveals to us this happy medium, which allows God to work more profoundly in our life. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, so that we may even now, 2,000 years later, begin to share in the very life of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? The Trinity is that eternal, perfect exchange of love. And when we unite our will to the Father's will, we begin to love as the Father loves and give ourselves as the Father gives and will as the Father wills. If the Trinity is love given, love received, and love shared, when we enter into the life of the Trinity, we are learning the language of giving, receiving, and sharing. Huh? And what greater language should we be learning? Oh, to know another language, Spanish, Italian, German, Latin, French. That's a great and noble task, and I think we're better for it. But let it all be at the service of of the great language of love that we learn fluently when we live in the inner life of the Trinity. Huh? And I'm trying to simplify this here for you, my friends. To live in the inner life of the Trinity is to live in love, is to learn the language of love. And it's very real. It's very real. When we are living in the very life of God, you'll know it by its fruit. You'll be more joyful You will be more life-giving in what you do. You will be more service-oriented. You will be more disposed to be at the service of other in what? God's drama, the theodrama. Because you're living in it. Because by living in the inner life of the Trinity, you begin 
to play your part in it. Amen. There's something else here, my friends. There's nothing anxious, if you will, about this attitude of trust, about this interior attitude of faith. There is no sigh of resignation. This is the deep peace of which St. Augustine spoke of when he summed up the Christian life in his famous quote, love and do what you will. (laughs) By the way, Scott Hahn has that one quoted, and uh, I've been asked the question, Joe, where is that quote? It's in a homily. You can find this online. It's in um, uh, St. Augustine's series of homilies on uh, the first epistle of John, of course, first epistle of John focuses in on God's love. Um, so it's homily seven on the first epistle of John. Okay, so brothers and sisters, I'm looking at the clock, we're running out of time. What I want to highlight for us is simply this. For the one who calls himself a child of God, doing God's will should be as natural as eating, huh? I mean, think of Christ's own words, John 4, 34. What did he say? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, we've been quoting a lot of sacred scripture today. Why? Because Christ is talking about doing the Father's will everywhere in the gospel. Huh? So it is, my friends. Every time that we seek to better understand the will of the Father in our life, we begin by praying how he taught us to pray, our Father. And when we're praying the words of the Father, and we get to this petition, thy will be done, always remember that it is the union of wills that perfects us as children of God. And such a divine relationship is, in a sense, exactly what we are praying for when we say, thy will be done. What does St. Paul say in his first letter to the Thessalonians? This is the will of God, your sanctification. So we can better understand the will of God in our life in how God is calling us to be what set apart. Remember, the Greek word for sanctification is hagiazo, to be set apart. This is what the word holiness means, to be set apart. So as it is setting us apart from the world, the will of the Father becomes more clear. We're not bogged down by the world. And by way of close, my friends, we are always to remember that God's will means more for us than merely following the law. Hmm? The commandments, for example, express His will, but they do not exhaust it, huh? Because His will for us is nothing short of sharing in His very life, which is the deepest freedom we can know. So we are obedient to the letter of the law, but we understand in the spirit of the law, we are called to go forth and be the person we are called to be never shoving the law to the margins, but in light of the law, pushing forward and living the life that God is calling you to live, entering into the theodrama. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.